Hey guys, you know we're fans of the In Search of Darkness documentary series, and now is your chance to order the upcoming film, In Search of Darkness, 1990-94. We have a link in the description of this episode. Check it out and order part one of the definitive 90s horror documentary today. Welcome back. My name is John, and this is the Dewey Pod Monster Podcast. This is the original podcast about consumption in 3D, no less. And with me this week is the host of the Dewey Pod Monster Podcast. His name is Sean. Sean, how are you doing today? I thought of a new band name. I think I'm going to name them the Eyeball Poppin' Daddies. I like it. So it's a very, there's a couple popped out eyeballs in what we're about to talk about. So if you're not aware, today is Friday the 13th, and we are doing our thing that we do around here. We're talking about a Friday the 13th movie. And if you've been keeping track, we have worked our way up to Friday the 13th Part 3, or Part 3D. This movie is the, believe it or not, third movie what? in the Friday the 13th franchise. You don't say. I do. Do you want to go into the plot? And Do we even need to do a plot review on this? I didn't pull a review on it. Like <laughs> I guess I can pull a review real quick. Go ahead. Let's do a plot, because fuck it. We don't know what we're into yet. There's this guy. His name is Jason Voorhees. And he stalks a group of friends who have just arrived to spend the weekend at a cabin near Crystal Lake. A little different. A little different this time. You know what's funny about that? It's just supposed to be on the other side of the lake. And it's less than 24 hours after part two. Forget the fact that, you know, Jason found a fantastic Sam's to go get a makeover at between part two and part three. I think the best part of this movie is that near the beginning. Well, it's not the best part by any stretch, but... An entertaining part of this movie is near the beginning. They're watching Friday the 13th part two on the TV. So Jason really beefed up between part two and part 3D here. I've noticed he sure did hit the planet fitness. Yeah. Well, you know, took some uh, got swole and I can't I don't know why this one doesn't want to pull. So fuck third party review. We're going to just do our own review. Fuck it. We'll do it Um, live. Fuck it. Fuck it. We'll do it live. Yeah. So this is the fucking thing sucks. This movie does not suck. Actually, this is one of the. For, for me, this is one of the more entertaining movies out of the franchise. This is the first movie where, to me, this franchise really starts feeling like the Friday the 13th that we really know and love. It gets kind of campy, no pun intended. You finally get to see Jason looking like Jason. Coincidentally, which I didn't notice until this watching, it exactly one hour into the movie is when you see him first pop out in proper Jason garb. And unlike sla- modern slashers or most modern slashers, you still for the most part, it can at least like most of these characters. They're not total pricks, at least. Some of them can be a little obnoxious, but they're not pricks. I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, they're all fairly likable. Like you said, I think the only one that I would take or leave, more more than likely leave, is Shelly. Shelly's kind of a mm-hmm. crappy, crappy dude, but he's actually even not that bad. And I think it's funny that this is 1982. Yes. And by 1982 standard, standards, Shelly is fat. <laughs> I think by oh, today's by standards, far. that's yeah. like me right now. <laughs> yeah. I aspire to be Shelly. The thing about Shelly is, and we're going to just apparently go totally all out of sequence here, is he's a little obnoxious in this movie, but he's also kind of innocent and dumb in that sense. The problem with Shelly isn't so much that he's, you know, what we just said. It's that you don't really get a good payoff on his death. You see him die, but you don't see him get... Usually when you have the annoying character 
in a movie. You're cheering for their death. Yeah, and they get like the most fucked up or brutal or, you know, whatever death. And his isn't that. It's kind of a off-screen attack that ends with a on-screen like bleh. You know, but we'll get to that, I guess. So let's step it back. Let's step it back. Right. This takes place, like you said, within 24 hours of the finish of the previous movie, because the movie starts with them talking about on the police scanner or on the news or something about, you mm-hmm. know, some kids at, at the camp that have been slaughtered. And that's where we kind of start off. Right. As they do. As they do. Yeah, we start. We open with a convenience store. And a guy that kind of looks like the dude from Bob's Burgers, kind of looks like a schluffy guy. And right off the bat, you're very aware that this is like prime 1982 3D. Like this movie throws everything it possibly can at the camera. And I got to say, like the more I watch it, I kind of have a little bit of soft spot for that. It's is it cheesy? Absolutely. Is it great filmmaking by today's standards? Probably not. But watching it, I I watched it three times this week because that's what kind of nerd I am. Like I said, I really like this one. It kind of leads to some different camera angles that you wouldn't see otherwise. It leads to some weird, like, hokiness. And it certainly scratches that nostalgia itch if you have any type of love for 1980s 3D where everything was about coming right at you because that's, you know, how they did it at that point. There's so many shots and the opening scene is almost entirely composed of this where they just... They don't really throw stuff at the camera. They just slowly move it towards the camera and leave it there for like a good five seconds to really get the red and blue effect. And they do a lot of effects even outside of the 3D. I think you mentioned it. They do things that are kind of outside of what you would expect them to do in a Friday the 13th movie, like angles. There's a specific angle that I'm thinking of where the guy who walks on his hands all the time, there's a character that is always walking around. We're going to come back to that. They slice them and there's just like an angle through the bottom of the floor, like a glass floor. But John, I, I want to ask you, what's your guess on how many 3D shots there are in this movie? Do you have an actual answer for this? I don't have an uh, like a 100% actual answer, but from my count, give or take, I have a general within like two or three, I probably have. And depending on what you'd consider like an actual 3D shot, I have a good idea. So for what I would consider to like intentional 3D shot, I'd probably say somewhere around 30 to 35. You're pretty close. From my count, I counted 28 individual times. And I'm counting, I think I'm counting the popcorn a couple times. There's a popcorn scene where yeah. popcorn's flying up into the camera because it's like there's a break. You know, it shows popcorn, then it cuts away, then it cuts back to popcorn 28 times. They utilized 3D to the fullest in this movie. Oh, yeah. They were full 1982 sure. 3D. And this is one of the first really big 3D movies that came out. If I remember right, this is before Jaws came out in 3D. This is before, like, this was like the, not just the hype, but the kickoff of the 3D phase. Or this this particular iteration of, because uh, it seems like 3D comes around like every generation. Like we have a year where it's like, well, we're trying this again for better or worse. And this was the first one that really did it. And really to this day, I think it's one of the ones that kind of pulled it off better because you can find 3D cuts of this with the red and blue and all that where it looks kind of weird and wonky. But even putting this in 2D, like some of the stuff is unmistakable. There's, again, going back to the opening scene, you see a snake in New Jersey of all places, like on a wire, on a, a wire, wire connected to its face. Right. Like jump out at you in seconds. Uh, you saw, like I already mentioned, the clothing line or whatever it was that it's some kind of pole that he has that comes right at you. Even the first kill that you see where Harold 
or Bob Spurgers gets the meat cleaver to the chest, which, let's be real, that's probably not even the worst thing that happened to this guy's heart in this movie based off how he's eating in the first, like, 10 minutes. These effects all are very much so played in a way that there's as much, like, we're throwing shit at you as much as we possibly can. Like, it's coming right in your face. And to be fair, Paramount Pictures invested a lot of money into the 3D stuff that they would do, and down to the point of considering sending... 3D lenses to theaters so they could show the movie accurately and and lawsuits that came because of, you know, giving somebody the manufacturing rights to making the lenses. I mean, how much more 3D like drama can you be? This this movie was expected to be a bit of an usher of the 3D era, you know, however, whatever time this was, the the fourth generation 3D, you know, we think of like the 50s 3D movies, the smell vision crap. And there was that dearth of 3D movies that kind of came out around the time of this. But this was really expected to be a big deal. So they they definitely utilized that 3D-ness as much as they possibly could. Well, I think that paid off for him. I mean, up until Freddy vs. Jason, this was the highest grossing movie in the franchise and it's got a budget of about two thousand two million five hundred roughly and it made almost 37 million which i don't know how you do that by like multiply that by 2023 standards but it's It's a a pretty good return on investment and the other thing that i was kind of thinking of is that this movie because of the 3d it almost and you you alluded to it earlier when you mentioned that this is where we see the real jason you know jason becomes the real jason the iconic jason that you think of yeah the movie has a real kind of tonal shift from part one part two it starts to usher in this different like and you mentioned it more campy kind of fun era of jason he's not just the killing machine well he's not really the killing machine the first one right but it's like it's not so serious it's it kind of is played for a little bit of that dark humor those dark laughs there's not so much of the stalking there's a you see more of jason in the background than you I don't know if you even see like a first person view this time around, but it's a little bit of a shift because the first two movies were so like they had that first person perspective on a lot of times when Jason or or Pamela are the main like focal point of the scene. Both one and two, especially one, obviously, because it's admittedly by the, the director and the creator, a direct ripoff of Halloween. But both one and two feel like they're trying to go for the Halloween vibe and three and kind of onward feels like Friday the 13th is trying to be Friday the 13th. Like they've stepping out into their own. Yeah. They've found their, their voice more or less. And I think it pays off because it's still got just as much, you know, if not more higher body count kills, gore, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this franchise has been notoriously like butchered by the MPAA. So it's not like they ever cut back on that, but they almost found a way to make each insane death almost humorous with how they presented it. And a lot of it seems like with the kills there, like we kind of mentioned with Shelly, we're, we're going back a lot. We're going back to Shelly here. Yeah. It's off camera. Like a lot of the stuff seemingly in the first couple, I mean, they reuse the under the bed thing or the hammock, I guess in this case, they reuse that shot, but Shelly's off camera. There's a few that are kind of off camera. You don't really see, or even the shadows, you know, you might see a scene in future movies where it's like a shadow, something's happening. You can imply what's happening, but this one seems like they have a little bit there. They kind of hide it a little bit more just to fit the, the kind of vein of being a little bit more silly. And this is the first movie where it wasn't actually filmed on the East Coast as well, right? This was filmed on a soundstage. Yeah, this was filmed in... No, it was, Well, part well, of it was. A, the, a set. The barn is... It might have just been torn down, or it was 
So there's an actually a cabin and a barn that were right, like they're actual an actual filming location that was in California. The house burned down. It got it or something around it got hit by lightning, fire, you know, gone basically. Um, I guess the only thing that still is left there. I've seen a bunch of filming location videos on it where the only thing really left is essentially the frame of the barn. Like the walls are still up, but that's pretty much it. And the fireplace is just you know fireplace is, is probably not going to burn down but it was have to be really hot for that it'd be a pretty bad <laughs> fireplace if it burned down but um most of it was filmed not necessarily on a stage but in a on a set yeah and, a con- and you can tell some of the scenes look a little the backgrounds look a little shaky they look a little like uh, i don't know about this a little touch and go here for a few scenes but my point being, it really takes this shift. It's trying to differentiate itself from those first two, even though this was initially intended to be a bit of a kind of end of a trilogy, right? This was supposed to be the end of the franchise, which we know that's how that worked out. Really? They right. have more of these? This is the last one? A few. Oh, shit. Lucky for you. I'm in for a treat. The other thing that's really mentionable in this, and we're, again, we're all over the fucking rails on this one, apparently, like 10 minutes in. I think this has arguably the most underrated person to portray Jason in the entire film series. So Jason's played by Richard Broker in this one. They actually credit him as playing Jason, like, right out of the gate. Like, after you see the Friday the 13th credits with, by the way, the best opening theme song, Suck It Halloween, Suck It Jaws. This theme song beats the shit out of both of you. Sorry, John Williams, your Star Wars shit can go right up your ass because this song is that good. It's right there. It's Richard Broker. And he really kind of, obviously, other people play him throughout the majority of the run of these films, but he really kind of lays the groundwork for everything, like all the mannerisms and all the things we really like identify Jason as. It's all really born by his performance in this character. Well, I guess you mentioned the theme. That's another shift. This is the only movie that has the different kind of theme music. Oh, yeah. And it, you're right, man. This is like, and not to not to discredit Jason or anything like that. I just want to touch. And this is probably my my favorite version of a horror theme, probably of all oh, time. Fantastic. Absolutely. I would buy this. <laughs> I would rock out in my car to this any day of the week. So I do rock out to my car. This it's on my uh, favorites list because it is on Spotify, and I I can assure you this that song will probably be peppered in at least at the beginning of this episode, if not in other places too. But yeah, it that theme song is great because it really does set a tone for this. And again, this whole movie we've said several times now it feels like a, almost a rebirth of the franchise, and we're only two movies in at this point. Yeah, it's like a it's a weird, really early reimagining of a series. And just to mention some of the cast, the characters, I mean, there's nobody really that you would recognize. But we've got rather than the kids, the counselors, it's just some normal everyday people that are in a cabin that are near Crystal Lake. We got Chris, we've got Debbie, we've got Fox, which it's different because this also takes some people that are outside of the main cast, meaning the bikers, which are what Fox, Loco, and Ollie, which plays a little bit of a part because we have this person come in. You know, we think that they're disposed of. I guess it's not too out of the question. In Ollie, who comes back to kind of save the day a little bit. I mean, if you could say that. I want to talk about the bikers and how they reappear because they all three of them reappear in the movies. So let's hold that because we're so off track if we get to that. So let's kind of backtrack here. So we've already talked about how this opens. We get introduced to our like main cast of characters, which is Shelly, Andy, 
Debbie and Chris, who Chris, uh, she's the the final girl, right? Yeah, she's the main main character. We've got and the, we have the guys. We have Rick, Shelley, and who's the other guy? Andy. Oh, Andy. Andy's the okay. handstand. And then you also have a very obvious Cheech or not Cheech Chong reference um, that's in the back of the bus or the back of the van, which is kind of entertaining. It, it the two like hippie stoners that are in there, you can a hundred percent tell they put them in there because they're like, you know, what would look cool in three D, a bunch of smoke. That's got to be the only reason they're in there. These hippies are like the stereotypical eighties early 80s idea of what a hippie is like you said cheat and chong totally and the 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 female the woman doesn't really fit the mold so much but the guy no wears the headband he wears like the dashiki kind of shirts and the big pants and everything so they're really playing beard he's got the yeah i never noticed if they show much from like the waist down but i'm sure he's wearing like some you know capri pants or whatever they would have called them in the 80s and they're near bell bottoms they're kind of are they they're wide probably some uh socks to go with it yeah (laughs) jinkos that even better and it's kind of funny because they look like they're a solid 20 years older than everyone else in this movie like of our main cast You, you bring it up rick who is the main he's chris's boyfriend or love interest i guess the counselor not counselor but the guy that's already kind of like rapey guy he's no he's like the farmhand kind of dude he takes his shirt off a lot yeah. and he's got the flannel shirt on he looks like he's clearly 10 years older than the rest of the cast he looks oh yeah very aged in comparison to these nubile young women yeah for sure i do like that he's like you know i could have been banging you know sally finger banger or whatever right. her name was you know <laughs> Somehow that works. <laughs> I don't think that would be the, the best pickup line, but I never used that line, but I don't think it would have worked. I agree. Yeah. So you get a lot of foreshadowing when they're going into where they're camping and that's fine. Like it's this movie doesn't one of the things you could arguably say is a fault of this movie, which I don't really think it is. It doesn't really hide from what it is. It's very much aware of the fact that we're making a slasher movie. We have a formula that we're going with and we don't really stray from it all too much aside from all the 3D antics. You kind of realize pretty quick, and it. I watched the trailer right before we did this, which I haven't seen in forever. But they basically count down every dead body in the trailer, so you know going into this, these are just the group of people that you're going to see get dead over the next hour and a half or so. And as soon as we get there, it's kind of the template is going forward for Friday the 13th movies. You get a group of young people, they show up, they start taking their clothes off and either like finding bunks or jumping in the lake immediately or you know something like that. It's summer vacation spring break whatever you want to call it and you know you get maybe 20 minutes of that and then all of a sudden jason's like what the fuck is going on and he shows up and kind of wakes throws up. everything off the rails right it is a very slow burn because we go quite a while about like you said earlier about an hour before we actually start to see any killing i mean any kills well i mean we have a few kind of minor characters you, you see kills but you see an hour before he's actually looking like jason which i do enjoy it kind of builds it's a little bit different than the previous movies because it kind of builds this suspense or you know you're you know that this you signed up when you bought your ticket to this movie you signed up for seeing this happen and it takes a while to get there but there is a lot of character development that happens because that kind of killing comes so fast and furious in that last like 40 30 to 40 minutes yeah it 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 does make these characters for the most part more like even shelly who again it makes you kind of feel for him because he's i mean he's not the inventor of the jump scare but he 
you know, several times has these fake out jump scares on his crush or whatever she is in this movie. And, you know, part of it, you're just kind of like, okay, that's kind of funny. There's, we all have that guy that's, you know, playing jokes or, you know, doing tricks on, on their buddies. Maybe not to the extent that Shelly does, but (laughs) the guy's got a, he's got a fake axe hatchet with a little bit of his own kind of hair texture built into it that he can put on his head to make it look like he's got a hatchet in his head so yeah i think he went a little bit above and beyond and he has a legitimate harpoon and wetsuit can i you bring up the harpoon is this the only instance that we see jason use a bona fide projectile for a kill does it count if you throw like an axe or a knife or something like no that? i mean something that is in the spirit of a gun mm, it's the only one that comes to mind yeah i i, I mean he's got like 140 kills throughout the whole franchise so it's no sleeping bag right no and that was done three times and that kill was done best in a dream sequence so it wasn't even really a kill but we're like 10 episodes away from that so we got a ways to go for that one so let's just kind of cut to it so like we said we go through this period where we see these kids you know doing their thing do we have the typical yeah typical young adult teenage thing and then kids start fucking and kids start dying that's really where this movie goes and it it executes well so we start seeing some of i'd say arguably my favorite kill of the entire franchise is in this movie and we already touched on it a little bit but we we see some stuff like you start with when you see jason he finds shelly's harpoon gun and you get what i can only assume would be a really like mind-blowing 3d effect in 1982 now it looks a little like dated but you get to watch a harpoon literally come right at your face and go through this chick's head and blow it out from the back and again it looks dated but for someone who likes practical effects and someone who has a soft spot for 80 slashers i mean i'm not going to get up and cheer but if i want like if i was going to find a movie to get <laughs> up and cheer for this is the kind of thing that we want yeah any thoughts on that one in particular we want to kind of move forward no i mean it's a bit of a jump scare it's a bit of a jump scare you know it's not something that you're expecting but he's holding the the harpoon gun at the camera for so long like he's almost bracing himself against the pole when he does it and it's it's you know it's coming you know the whole time that it's coming but it's just so kind of like i said it's so off the no pun intended or inverted pun intended it's off the mark for Jason because it's the only instance I can think of of like a crossbow, a gun, any kind of projectile other than th- something thrown that he uses in the whole thing. And it's just kind of out of character for Jason. So it's even that aspect makes it a little bit kind of a- of an oddity. Yeah. So basically after that, we kind of move into the house and we start seeing a, if I'm re- remembering the t- timeline right. Actually, we skipped over the bikers. Yeah. So we should bring up the bikers real quick because I wanted to bring them up later. So before this all happens, Shelly and girl who he's into, they go into town and they piss off some random bikers that are in this. I don't know if this is just a Midwest thing, but they're in like a party store, like a local type convenience store or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like a gas station almost, but yeah. with liquor and groceries. Yeah. Like we in Michigan, we typically call it party stores. I don't know if that's a everywhere thing. These bikers are the weirdest mix of like biker punker type. I don't I don't really know what you want to call them. And they're very they're very diverse cartoony. They're <laughs> they are, but they're cartoony. They're growling. They're making weird gestures. They're like very curious about shelly's condom that he has in his wallet which he's like do you use this he's like look at this guy no he doesn't use it but that's what it's intended for 
probably. He's going to make water balloons. That's what that's for. Yeah, exactly. I do kind of like how Shelly's response to when Ollie comes out, he's got his tall boy at beer and Shelly is, for whatever reason, antagonizing him, backs into his bikes like a dickwad. And this guy is trying to stop his car by standing in front of it. He has like a football field worth of like road on either side of Ollie, but he decides to stop and just smile like a goober and get all his windows punched out, which again, Probably a great 3D effect if you saw it in a theater in 1982. Watching it now, I'm like, what kind of glass is in this fucking car? Yeah, this isn't tempered. No, he goes through with like (laughs) no issue at all. Anyway, so that leads to them getting away and the bikers follow them back to where they're to Camp Crystal Lake or, you know, where we're shacking up for the night. So we get a couple bodies that drop before that. And frankly, they're kind of unimpressive kills for all three of them really they're again they're very heavy on the 3d except for ollie who just gets the shit beat out of him um, for a good he basically just gets bludgeoned yeah and you expect that he's down for the count right and then you have loco and fox who both get impaled with different pitchforks or yeah and that's fine like we're not really too worried about them they're kind of shitty people so yeah well shitty people gotta die they're Interesting because they come back later. This is why I find them interesting. So anyway, fast forward back to after all that shit. We're back in the house. We've got a few bodies under our our, our blood bus is going. Let's go see some TNA because it's Friday the 13th movie. And I got to say the handstand kill, which <laughs> we talked about, this movie does so much like legend building for the character of Jason. And the first time I saw this movie, like, do you ever sit back and see a kill and just hold yourself and be like holy shit that just happened it's such a brutal like cut the way so andy decide he's for whatever reason he's walking on his hands because i guess that impresses you know his girl or whatever that's some 1982 behavior yeah i feel like that was a lot more prevalent back in the day and he does it several times before he finally gets told not to do that very bluntly he gets told not to do that by jason right by the way, the just way it plays it out. out is just it's so perfect. Like he he handstands out of the bathroom like a, a dingus and you see him kind of walking and he's upside down. So he looks up like towards the ceiling and boom, there's Jason. And you just see him go full hand over his head straight down. And it looks like the most intense hack like that. You like the intense like you're trying to split a, a oak tree with one slice of a machete is how hard he hits them. And the sound effect work is work is perfect. It's like they mic the floor. So you would hear whatever they filled his body with, make this really good thud. And you don't even really see the full aftermath of this until like two or three scenes later, but it's a great little like pop-up jump scare kill. And again, it's one of those, you know, it's coming, but the way they do it is again, to me, it's, it's one of my favorite kills of the entire franchise. I mean, it's brutal. It's definitely brutal. Like you said, you don't, (laughs) you don't realize the full extent of it until a couple scenes later when you see Andy and he's split in half and it's like stuffed in the ceiling wars. Yeah. You wonder because Debbie comes out of the shower. This is, and again, you, you kind of, again, alluded to it, but the TNA factor, this is the only part where there's really any nudity. Debbie is the only woman that you see with any kind of nudity. She leaves the bathroom and doesn't see any of the aftermath of this until she does. So it's, yeah, it's very brutal and very, very swift. It's a cool reveal, though, when she does see it. I mean, there's a little bit of early 
fan service because she's saying they're reading a Fangoria magazine. And, you know, I'm sure anyone who's listening to this episode has a little bit of a soft spot for Fangoria because, you know, it's what we had back then. And all of a sudden, this little bit of blood starts dripping on her. She looks up and sees his body cut in half, intestines everywhere. And then that's where you get the little either stealing homage, whatever you want to call it. It's very reminiscent of the Kevin Bacon death from the first movie, except instead of an arrow, it's straight up machete through the chest. And they do a pretty good job with the effect because you see it pull her. Obviously, it's a prosthetic, but you see it push her skin and kind of put it. It's not nearly as effective as the the kill. He must have dulled it, cutting Andy in half. But it's it's an effective effect and it, it just works really, really well. So once Debbie meets her end, then we start to kind of move on to the the hippies in there. It almost seemed when I watched this, it almost seemed like they were in a separate cabin. Almost the two hippies, yeah. Chili and I can never remember what the the hippie guy's Chuck. name is, but Chuck. OK, Chili and Chuck. <laughs> Why not? The power goes out or it flickers out or whatever. So Chuck goes downstairs to check what's going on. And Jason's down there. He gets, I don't know, very unceremoniously taken care of. He just gets zapped into the fuse box or whatever. So the rest of the movie, the power is pretty much out in the main cabin. And that's when Chili meets up with a deceased Shelly. And Shelly's known for being this trickster throughout the whole movie. So she doesn't take it seriously at all. Yeah. His Again, I think the biggest problem with Shelly's death is it's just so unceremonious yeah like very unceremonious you almost again i don't know what like i'm not a creator of a film obviously i don't know what you do to like give shelly a proper death but you know have jason thrown through a window with an accent that axe that was in his head that he started with or one that's similar to it or something you know more than the stereotypical like because <laughs> his throat's been cut and then he just you know falls out in the kitchen it's not great like the sound effect that's pretty much it that's how i'd handle it yeah so after shelly's you know got his death finally or eventually it took forever basically shelly kind of gets an unceremonious death too but it's very much so playing into the 3d thing she just kind of turns around and gets a hot poker to the gut essentially or was it to the back either way it, it goes through her and you see the poker actually go through her and that's in a way that's in a way a bit of a off screen too because while she's on screen you just see her reaction. I think this movie has a lot of really good acting in it, considering like what kind of movie it is, you know, and the actors that you really haven't seen much after or before. But I would say Chili's death is probably one of the most overacted of the of the series because it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's very drawn out and it's like, uh, can we do take two? Maybe maybe a take four, take that out of the, all this stuff. I hope all our sound effects make it to this episode. Uh, oh. uh, yeah, there we go. More farts. So basically, once Chili's dead, we're essentially in the third act of this movie. I mean, once this movie ramps up, it's just, it goes. It doesn't really, I mean, once these main characters that start in the van on the way there start dying, we're in like third gear and we're we're on the highway and cruising to, to you know, a very fun, climatic ending. To use another driving analogy, we are downhill from here. We are also downhill, yes, <laughs> in third gear, without gas. Okay, we get back to the cabin. We are now with Chris and Rick, and Chris goes in. She starts looking around. This is, again, this is kind of a trope of the Friday the 13th series. She kind of walks through the house. She's like, hey, where are you guys? Blah, blah, blah. Starts walking around, starts realizing all of a sudden Jason has had some time to clean up. He's stuffed bodies in random places, and she eventually finds one or two of them. She screams like a moron. 
Jason knows where she is, and he's like, hey, something's home, better go fuck him up. And he does. He grabs Rick first, and he gets one of the more memorable deaths. I, it, I think it's one of the more cheesy deaths in the franchise, honestly, but it is memorable because of what he does. You get a really cool shot where Chris comes outside first because she's looking for Rick. And the you're looking, basically, the door is right at the corner of the cabin. She's outside, and she's looking around. It's dark at this point, so it's not as easy to see everything. And Rick is just around the corner, but Jason's got him. So Jason is, like, hulking over him. I mean, he makes Rick, and you find out later that he's on a step, but he looks like he is just a silverback gorilla in a hockey mask, just, like, holding Rick down so he can't move or scream or anything. And she goes back inside. Because she doesn't think he's out there, apparently. And you just see Jason pick him up by his skull, squeeze, and pop out an eyeball. Crushing his skull, and his body just goes limp like a rag doll. It's an interesting effect because, again, it's 100% just totally leaning into the 3D. You can see the wires or the hole that comes out. It's very... If you go to Spirit Halloween... I mean, this is coming out in October, so if you go to Spirit Halloween, you'll probably find a head that does something somewhere where it pops out an eye and goes, blah, 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 you know, whatever. I made another sound effect. <laughs> another <probably>. sound effect, <laughs> yeah, for the real. Yeah, but I would bet that if you find, if you were to pull people who've watched this whole franchise, this death probably comes up a lot as one that's more memorable. So another first, and you, you're the, really the um, resident expert of the series is this the only time that you can think of off the top of your head where jason holds someone so that they can't alert another victim because in my mind what jason does basically is he's just a killing machine doesn't matter who it is where it is what it is he's just like singular focused on killing everything and this specific kill seems out of character again with the harpoon because he holds him while chris comes out to look for rick she's like rick are you out here whatever she says and jason's basically muzzling him so he can't make any noise and it just seems kind of really out of character especially if this just being a three movie series so far there has been nothing where it's been like don't alert the other characters in the movie yeah i can't i mean I don't think so, but there's another another interesting part that's kind of right after this that's also very out of character that it kind of makes it play like they were trying to take Jason into a more human character because he also feels pain in this movie. He makes mm. noises in this movie. Which, well, same with two. Two, he does the same. There's a few where there's injuries that happen to him. He gets hit with the machete or he gets there's a the beginning of the movie. Yeah, of this but movie not, begins with the end of part two, but it's a little bit of a different configuration than how part two ends yeah but it's it's different in this one like when he's to, to no, i'm not trying to dodge your question no yeah. i can't think of another thing where he's trying to conceal what he's doing like that but i mean he kind of chases that by going in he's going after chris yes chris shows you how much i care about these characters outside of shelly i don't remember any of their <laughs> fucking names um so he goes in to, to go after chris and chris pretty quickly realizes that she well he doesn't go in right away First, Chris goes back in the house. Uh, Rick is dead. That's fine. We have like the haunted house windstorm going on where every door and every window in the fucking house is opening and closing randomly. And if you know anything about Jason Voorhees, you're in a, a room with a lot of windows. Jason doesn't fucking like windows. Someone's going through that window. And they build it up actually pretty well for because, again, you bought a ticket. You know what's coming. They probably go a solid like 40 seconds before they finally like hurl Rick's dead ass through the window. 
But when they do, it pays off really well because you get a really good shot of Jason finally appearing. He's it's dark, but he's well lit and he just looks menacing as fuck. And at that point, Chris knows, like, I better run. She goes upstairs and she starts kind of barricading herself in and getting ready to fight back. And she she knifes him a couple times, first in the hand, and you actually hear him make an audible noise, which I don't remember. I mean, he might have made a little bit of a grunt, but not like this. He he almost says owie, 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 and like backs off for a second. You know, she goes through the door and she starts kind of hacking at him with this butcher knife. It's like a, something like that. And he's actually on the defense for a second. He's making noises. He's hurting. And she ends up hitting him in the knee. And again, he spends a solid 20 seconds like, owie, 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 and then, you know, kind of gets back to work. Um, (laughs) But it's another character change for Jason that really never comes back up in any other point in this movie. Yeah, he, he definitely shakes it off because that seems to wound him for a bit. But he's chasing Chris after that scene through the woods and he's like full out you know running down hills and uneven ground and it it, it's as if it doesn't affect him but at the time like you said she's back she's backing him down with the knife like swiping it at him and he's like backing up whereas i think forward in the series he's impervious he's just the unstoppable force after this point you know if you really want to like nerd out and read fan theories which i don't but i've seen them because i'm terrible because you're you're that nerd but you're not that much of a nerd I can respect that. No, I'm, you know, I spend a lot of time in front of the computer at work and sometimes you read, see a title and you're like, yeah, let's read this because I'm sure I'm going to agree with this. I've seen people say like, oh, he just didn't have full power yet. I'm like, because he's like a mini he's boss Goku. at this point. He, he's like Goku yeah, from like, Dragon Ball Z. He needs to charge up. Yeah. Well, and that's essentially the argument that I've heard. I just think that the simple answer is this is just how they wrote the character in this movie. Get the fuck over it. It's at yeah, this point whatever. in time. This is what he was. He was not quite right. the monolithic machine. character that he becomes. Yeah. yeah. The man machine. Well, I mean, if you really want to like split hairs by the sixth movie which he's not even in the fifth movie he's a fucking zombie so he shouldn't feel anything so anyway like you mentioned he started the chase is on at this point she decides to go out a fucking window for whatever reason jason's chasing her and this is where the bikers start popping back up and the reason i really like when the bikers start popping up so chris starts running back to the barn and you see the first of them you see loco who apparently was strung up by his boots or something and he just drops from out of fucking nowhere and lands like he doesn't land on the ground but he's like hanging in front of her face and she screams but i was like she has no idea who these people are she's gotta be thinking as she's running away from jason who the fuck was that (laughs) that just you know fell in front of me she goes into the barn and finds another body in uh fox and she doesn't drop or anything but again there's now two corpses that she's found that no fucking clue where these people came from and they're just dead punkers hanging out or whatever ollie comes up in a little bit here but it's kind of almost weirdly comical how she responds to them but still has that whole like fight or flight mentality at this point because well, you can't stop and investigate, right? And I also find it interesting that there's this whole backstory with Chris about the whole, like, she passed out, she saw, assume, we assume it's Jason, that's how it's presented in the flashback. Yeah. And possibly sexually assaulted by this person. I mean, it's not really said by those specific words. Yeah, but it's very much implied that Jason is the person that does this, and she's... You know, this is her house. This is her parents' house. But she doesn't have any place in the woods that she can go to kind of get away, like hiding spots, you know, little little places that you can go. Like, my kids are not, well, 
I have a teenager and a sub-teenager, right? A preteen. They have places in this house they can hide. If they want to get away from from me, who will be playing Jason, depending on the act that's been, you know, performed in this house that I get that enraged. Chris doesn't have any of that stuff. She's just like, I don't know where the hell I am. I've never been here before. I mean, it's almost to that level where she's just totally clueless to her environment. Yeah, it is kind of weird. I know. I mean, now that I ever had Jason chasing me, per se, but, I, you know, she hides in a room with with no windows and only one way out, a.k.a. the door. And running through, she only knows the path directly to back to the house. There's no hidey hole or anything other than the wood pile that she utilizes a log. It's interesting you said that. Like when I was growing up as a kid, much younger than than what's portrayed in this movie, you know, my grandparents had a a cabin that was out in the woods and what whatnot. And you know, we Irish Catholic family, we had like fifty cousins and all that shit. And we all had hiding spots and all that stuff in the woods that were around it. And you know, you're right. Kind of thinking about that's kind of a human nature thing. Like if you're young and you grow up in a place like that, go wander. You find stuff that you know, a fort, who knows, maybe you find a trailer shack that has a severed head in it, whatever. <laughs> um, but you're right. She is kind of tunnel vision through the whole movie more than you would think if she's got a pre-existing knowledge of this property. But I guess that's movie magic, right? Sure. Wouldn't be a story without a little bit, of, a little bit of ignorance, I guess. You're right. So we get back to the barn and this is where we start kind of wrapping up on the story and, or getting ratching towards the end of this story. And like I said, bodies are falling out of the sky, essentially. And Jason chases her. And it's almost like this weird little cat and mouse hide and seek game. Yeah, that's fine. You know, he's Jason's in there. He's kind of he locks the door so she can't get out through the door. He's kind of tossing the place, throwing hay and a random footlocker and whatever he can find. in there, trying to find her. She's gone to the second level of this barn. And he makes his way up there and you see a little bit of a fight between them, but she hits him in the back that clogs him with a shovel, which puts him down for, you know, 20, 30 seconds, long enough for her to wrap a rope around his neck and make a makeshift noose, essentially, and kick him out the, I don't know what you would call that window. I'm sure there's a, a term for it in Barnes, but essentially it's a big window. We are not barn experts, were. just for the record. Oh, yeah, clearly. She pushes him out of that, and you you get actually a really good camera shot of, obviously, a dummy being lynched. Like, it, it looks legitimate, though. Like, it, it's well shot. And we're led to, th- you know, unless you haven't, unless you've seen a slasher movie before, we're led to think this is the end of the movie. Um, Any normal human character, this would be the end of their existence. But this is a slasher movie, so we know there's at least two more endings coming. So, so you know, she's in there, and she's a little hysterical. She's crying, whatever. She makes her way back down there. They spend more time trying to open the door than I thought was necessary, but whatever. Open the door, and of course, there's Jason looking kind of like an action figure in the noose. And what do you know? He gets up, and what I like about this... Unhangs himself? Well, that's what I like about it. Instead of just go- grabbing for her right away... He gets up, he pulls himself up. Making eye contact kind of, the entire time yeah, he, to show his dominance. Takes the mask off. Yeah, like he, he fucks with her. It's yeah. kind of Not an a interesting play. Yeah, 
So he gets out of the news, and oh, here's Ollie to save the day. Oh, uh, that's not Ollie's not saving anything. Like he comes back, like he's gonna back from the dead. Her basically, and within like two seconds, Jason hacks his hand off, and that's what kills him. Apparently, it's kind of funny because you get a pretty good facial like reaction from Ollie. The look on his face it's pretty fucked up. But that's long enough for Jason to get distracted, and Chris produces an axe, and this is where of all the things that have changed in Jason's appearance throughout the years, movie to movie, outfit to outfit, sometimes getting shot into fucking space or getting sent to hell. The one thing he always seems to have is the fucking axe mark from when Chris just clocks him right in the fucking head and doesn't put him down because he, of course, continues to like go after her with an axe in his head until he doesn't. Again, this movie does, this is another thing that this movie does that just builds so much on the lore and what we know of this character. And that's one of the things, arguably more than anything, that aside from the mask itself, that has just been a part of every single Jason movie past this. I think it's even, no, it's not in the remake. He, what, anyway, so yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool quote unquote death for Jason in this one. He lies down, takes a nap for a while, and then we do the shit that happens in. Thankfully, this is the last movie that it happens in, but we have to do another fucking dream sequence because why not? It wouldn't be Friday the 13th so far without it, but we get a twist. We don't get Jason that comes up. Yeah. So there's like almost arguably two different dream sequences that happen. It's like two different pieces of the same dream. Right. Spoilers. If you haven't had this movie spoiled already. (laughs) You know, the first thing we see that happens is, again, it's very homage to the first movie with Alice, I think is her name in the first movie. She gets in the canoe and she's just going to go take a nap in the middle of the lake until sunlight, I guess. And it's pretty much what happens. And this time, instead of Jason popping out of the water as a kid, which was a much, much more effective scare, Jason's mom pops out of the water with a body that looks very rigor mortis, I guess. Is that a word? She got very stiff arms. She's got like mummy arms from because she's a mommy. Um, <laughs> I'm leaving that in. <laughs> that's fine. I don't know. I don't really like how she looks in this. Like she looks like they made a mask out of paper mache and yeah, and a lot of left water. it underwater for two hours and said, "Yeah, it's good enough. Just put like a gummy worm on it and call it a day." You know, it's almost Medusa esque. She's got a couple snakes yeah. coming out of the out of the face and it just tonally doesn't really match the rest of the movie no and for a movie that again it kind of embraces some of the campiness and all that stuff it looks like it looks like they said what can we do with our last 200 bucks and kind of make this a shot that we don't really need so that happens and that's okay fine whatever (laughs) but then we wake up in the boat again and i think this would be a better ending there's one of two endings in of the three in this that you could have i think this would be a better ending where she wakes up and she's looking around and it's all kind of quiet and whatnot she looks over to the house and she does like a double take and we go back to a window on the house and you see movement in the house you see this bald bloody kind of pig face it's like man bear pig from south park is up there basically jason is in the house he's bloody he looks like he's taking an axe to the face and he kind of points at her and says you essentially and he presumably runs downstairs i don't remember i think he like kicks open the front door and essentially goes after her and she wakes up again this is where i would have cut the movie i would have basically let him run at her get to about the water and just kind of cut to black and let it leave there 
you know, roll credits. And then we have one more ending where she wakes up again. And this time the cops are there. You kind of see not all the destruction, but you essentially see the barn again where Jason's laying there with the axe in his head and he's presumed to be dead. And the cops take her away and she's hysterical. She's screaming and laughing at the same time and the cops are essentially saying well maybe we shouldn't have opened camp like allowed people to stay at this camp less than 24 hours after this other mass murder where we didn't find the killer and you know well no fuck it let's go let's go get a coffee and some donuts that's where we kind of yeah some donuts and then we kind of just get like a very still shot of a very dirty lake well we get jason too laying there it's like a pan or a yeah it's a zooming shot of jason Mm -hmm. and you almost kind of expect knowing what we know now obviously what 20 30 years removed 40 years removed at this point you kind of expect him to twitch or do something to move but he really does he he doesn't he lays there very still and then it fades out and it's like you know what's to come the thing watching it now is that you know all the all the lore all the legend of Jason, but at the time of this movie, it's very much presented as if this is the end. There's no more. Jason is, he is what he is, and it's over. But of course, hindsight being 2020, we know we have another 40 years of this character to come. The next movie is called The Final Chapter. Right. That was clearly the final movie that they... So yeah, that in a nutshell is Friday the 13th Part 3D. Uh, Let's fire up the grill we're camping let's get some hot dogs so you want to go first yeah i can do it first all right what i like about part three is that it the whole thing it it just you know as we mentioned throughout this entire episode it it feels so much less serious than the first two movies have been they take themselves really seriously this one's a little bit more campy even though it doesn't take place at a camp and i think the 3d element adds it helps add to that because i mean how serious can you take a 3d movie where we said 30 around 30 times they're poking things at you you know you're you're looking at it and there's just these elements coming out of the screen you kind of have to go into it understanding that it's not going to be super serious we get to see jason get his mask he becomes that iconic character we get to see jason do things that he's really never done before or since you know we get he muzzles a victim. We get to see him use a projectile, stuff like that. He is just buff as fuck. And part three brings us the best theme song of the entire series, maybe of every horror movie ever. Just for those factors alone, I have to give Friday the 13th part three, seven popping eyeballs out of 11 hot dogs. This is honestly probably one of my favorite of the entire series. So, yeah, I agree with everything you just said. Like, I, I have no argument there. For me, this is, of all the 12 films that we have to date, the, there's the second only to one other film, which will be the next one we talk about. Spoiler. But you'll probably forget that by the time we get to that. This is the movie that I go back to the most out of the franchise, though. This is the one that, like, I don't really know what I want to watch. I know I want to watch a horror movie. I don't really want to overthink it. This one is a fun one to turn on. Like, as soon as I hear that theme song pumping, I'm like, I'm in. Like, I'm sold. Let's have some fun. Let's see Jason fuck these people up. It's goofy. It's silly. But it's still exceptionally over-the-top violent. It's gory. It's It checks all the boxes. And more importantly, Richard Broker is an awesome Jason. He has built so much into this franchise that still is what we look back on with it. Again, you'll always hear, like, the one-off person is, oh, I really like Sackhead Jason, or I really like Pamela, or whatever. And, and that's fine. Like, I'm not... not arguing that but i think 
if you were to ask just man on the street, if you were to go ask a hundred people, what does Jason look like? This is what they're thinking of is this move in, in one way or another. So yeah, it, it just hits. It's not a perfect movie. There's plenty of things you could pick apart if you really wanted to, but you'd be hard pressed to find a, a slasher movie in general that is just more enjoyable to just kind of put on and have fun with. So it's, it's a solid eight and a half, like three dimensional hot dogs out of 10 for me. Like I said, I thoroughly love this one and getting to watch it again. I like having a reason to watch it, but I'll do it anyway. It's just, it's too easy to go back to for me. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to going back to watching four because it's been so long since i've seen it and Mm. it's just kind of cool that we know what's kind of come up next and i think probably four is one of it holds a special place in my heart and i know it obviously does for you it just has all these elements to it because they totally play it up to be this final thing at you know just like they played three to be this final thing but four just has even more to come so it's kind of exciting that we've seen three and three has been so good especially considering you know one was really good two was was good three is like another high watermark four comes up i think it's another super high watermark so lifts all boats right well, yeah, and and I'm not going to sit here and act like this, you know, those tides go down, too. But yeah, it's they true. Haven't yet. <laughs> it's true. Uh, <laughs> they, they haven't yet. And, you know, this movie and this, I mean, the first four of these movies, like, I, I don't want to say I wish they would have stopped at part four because there's so many good things I like about the movies that come after that, too. But the first four really feel like, what would you call that? A quadrilogy or something like that? They almost feel like... uh, If we go by the alien example, it's a quadrilogy. Yeah, they really feel like, I mean, if you take continuity out of it, (laughs) which is dumb, they feel like a really good, like, just, you want a one day or one night binge to go through. That's a really good four-movie run, just keeping the same universe with the same non-existent rules and kind of have some fun with it and they all have a distinct tone that just works really well for each individual film where i do think they definitely feel like their own chapters each one feels like you know chapter one chapter two chapter three chapter four and then that's one book you know and then we move on to the second set of books yeah and i don't i don't think that's the same with the second set of books and that's a whole different conversation for a different day but so far this series again it's i don't think it's hard to see why not just myself, but so many people have such a love for this franchise. So that has been Friday the 13th, part three in 3D. Thank you for listening to that. So we will be back at our normal time on Tuesday morning. So this is a one-off. If you haven't figured out by yet, we will be dropping one of these on every Friday the 13th until we run out of Friday the 13th. And maybe we'll do one on Saturday the 14th because there is a Saturday the 14th movie. We'll see. Anyway, in the meantime, if you want to keep up on that, if you want to follow us and do our normal shenanigans like question of the week and whatever else we got going on, you can do that all over the place. We are Our website is at crap.town. And then you can also follow us on social media at Monster on X, Facebook, Instagram, Freds, Slasher, etc., etc. We'd also really appreciate it if you subscribe to our YouTube page. We're trying to do more stuff there and give us feedback on those. Let us know what you want to see, be it video or otherwise. And Sean, tell us some other stuff. Where What am I forgetting or not saying? I was just going to say, if you like this episode... 
Go back. We did two other episodes for Friday the 13th Part 1 and Friday the 13th Part 2. Obviously all going out on Friday the 13th whenever those occur. Other than that, you can check us out at YouTube.shit. Not YouTube.shit. You can check me out. <laughs> I mean, it might be. <laughs> it could be at this point. You can check me out at YouTube.drafttherapy.com. I cover Michigan beer. I haven't done it in a while, but that's what the channel is mostly about. Other than that, you can check me out on all social media at Draft Therapy. And that's it. So cue up the awesome music, which is going to be intro and outro, because why not? We will talk to you on next week. Cheers. Side note, I, you want to know why that you can cut this out because it won't be at all relevant by the time this comes out. The only reason I know his name is Chuck is I responded to someone where they, the question was, what character are you from a horror movie? Like, who do you see yourself as? Mm -hmm. I responded with him <laughs> sitting on the toilet, smoking weed.